0: We can go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, let me add my welcome this morning. My name's Alistair. If we've never met, I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, and we're really glad you're spending this Sunday morning with us. And for everyone, as we enter into this season of Advent, and as we get closer and closer to Christmas, I just want to acknowledge that we don't have a uniform experience of this season. For some, this is a great and exciting season. You love the decorations. You love it all. Uh, but for others, this can be actually a season of grief, and it can be a season of... loneliness and it can be a a difficult season and so whatever your experience may be through this December calendar uh, we ask that you just press in and and welcome people into your experience whether it is laughter or tears we want you to know that's okay and that we're here to walk with you and if this is a particularly hard season for you please reach out to someone in our community reach out to someone on our staff we would love to walk alongside you we're going to continue strangely through the Sermon on the Mount uh, through Advent. And I'm hoping that I'm going to find the connections well. And if I don't, we won't do it again because we will have preached the Sermon on the Mount. But during my late teenage years, uh, one of my friends used to own a camcorder. Believe it or not, this used to be a luxury item. Anybody remember when these were luxury items? And I should be more specific. My friend's mom, who I'll call Mrs. Donnelly, uh, owned a camcorder and she let us use it. And this camcorder went everywhere we went, recording our shenanigans, uh, the shows we were playing, pranks we were pulling off, and for months and months and months, it went everywhere we went. And then one day, Mrs. Donnelly said she wanted her camcorder back because she and her husband were going on vacation, and understandably, they wanted to film it. But the camcorder was nowhere to be found. It's second home, though. It was usually my house, and so I was the guilty party, apparently. But for the life of me, I could not recall the last time I even saw the camcorder, let alone used it, and I wasn't even sure I was the last one to have it. But when Mrs. Donnelly started insisting that I replace it and buy her a new one, I hate to admit it, but I just began to avoid her. Uh, I didn't have the money to replace it. I wasn't totally sure I lost it. And so I didn't feel all that bad, but eventually... She managed to get a hold of me. And when she did, boy, did she let me have it. Uh, She was a very vocal Christian. I wasn't a Christian at the time. And with much condescension and on the brink of screaming at me, she said, don't you know the golden rule? And I didn't have the guts to say, no, actually, I don't. She said, don't you know the golden rule? Again, do to others as you would have them do to you, What is wrong with you, Mr. Stern? Now, this wasn't her greatest moment. We all have our bad moments. But at the time, she managed to make me feel small and judged. And even though I may have been in the wrong, I couldn't help but think, I don't think this is how you'd want others to treat you. Now, if you're wondering how the story plays out, uh, my parents bought her a new camera because I was a broke musician. And then like three years later, my drummer admitted to losing the camera. That's how the story ends. <laughs> A meme of our culture today is that Christians are judgmental. Christians are judgmental. And it's not always unwarranted. Two recent studies have revealed that many people don't like the church or Christians because they see them as judgmental. And I know I saw Christians this way. I experienced Christians this way. And I'm sure you have experiences that could back up this perception as well. And the way that Christians, or I should say some Christians, can sometimes act, make people feel judged, and and it feels disconnected from the golden rule. And when it comes to judgment, especially judgment, shouldn't we do to others as we would like others to do to us? And so our passage from the Sermon on the Mount is one of the most famous sayings of Jesus. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. But this is almost immediately followed up in the Sermon on the Mount with the golden rule. The way we judge others is supposed to be connected to the way we treat others and how we would like them to treat us. And although people often quote, do not judge or you'll be judged, it's often misunderstood. It's often taken out of its context. We often don't actually see what Jesus is saying here. And so this morning... I want to think at this Advent theme of judgment and see how it does connect to the golden rule. And as we do that, I want to consider two things. What did Jesus mean when he said, judge not? And how do we put it into practice? So if you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 7. Everything's going to be on the screen behind me. And if you don't own a Bible, please take one of our great Bibles home with you. It's our gift to you. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says this. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So our first question, what did Jesus mean? Every Tuesday, the St. Peter's staff comes together in the morning for our staff meetings, and we always carve out the first 10 minutes to play a game, to socialize a little bit. And we sometimes play Anomia. We often play the game of things. But our go-to game is Exploding Kittens. Now, don't worry. It's not literal. Don't go calling PETA on us or anything. But we play this game, and it's actually a lot of fun. It's a card game. And one of my favorite cards in this game is the Nope card. Because if someone plays a card against you that's not favorable to you, you can just slam down the Nope card and say, Nope. And they have to... They have to play a different card. And what I love about the nope card is even when it's not your turn, you can just play it at any point of the game to be a disruptor, which I love. And so you can just be slapping down nope cards. You see, sometimes Jesus is quoted from this passage, and people use it like a spiritual nope. You know, if someone says something that has any hint of being judgmental, here's how it works. Quote what Jesus said. Act like anyone who disagrees with you is foolish or intolerant and then make a clean getaway. Nope. You know, when we think someone is judging what we're doing, nope, judge not, haven't you heard? If someone says something critical of a politician that we feel favorable toward, nope, judge not. If someone ever evaluates someone else's life, nope, judge not. And I've seen Christians and not yet Christians play this card alike. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to use judge not lest ye be judged as a spiritual nope card. It's a way of shutting down conversation. And very often I've seen judge not turn into who am I to judge? Have you ever heard that? Who am I to judge? And this is a very healthy posture. You know, we're not supposed to go around casting stones at people and it's not our job to pronounce verdicts over another person and from our vantage point we're always limited in what we see we don't have all the facts we don't have all the data we can't possibly know what's going on in someone's heart and so we can so easily misjudge someone Coley Knox uh, was a British author and journalist who was active during World War II and Knox was injured in a flying accident while he was serving in the Royal Flying Corps. And so he was sent home. And he tells this story about something that happened after he was sent home and being home for a while. Uh, He went to see a friend at Buckingham Palace to witness this friend receive the medal for gallantry. It's a huge honor. And so after the ceremony, Knox and his friend uh, changed from their service clothes into civilian clothes and they went and had lunch together At a famous restaurant. And while they were eating, a girl came up to them and handed each of them a white feather. And this was a sign in that time of cowardice, saying, You should be at war. How dare you be home? You see, this girl just handed a white feather to two decorated war heroes. She gravely misjudged them. You see, our personal judgments of people can profoundly miss the mark. We never know the whole story. We never know the sum of a person. And more importantly, no one is good enough or holy enough to stand above someone and judge them. You see, who am I to judge is the right posture when it's rooted in the conviction that we don't have any moral high ground above another human being. And so no wonder we're inclined to use Christ's words, do not judge, as a nope card because we can so easily misjudge another person. And yet... This story about the girl handing out the feather shows that judgment isn't so simple. She misjudged Knox and his friend. And from our vantage point, we can judge her actions as misguided. And it's okay to do that because Jesus isn't prohibiting every form of judgment, but a specific kind of judgment. There's times where it's appropriate to exercise our judgment, while other forms of judgment are always inappropriate. And so when Jesus says, do not judge, we really do need to get a sense of what is he prohibiting here? What is he saying we shouldn't do? And I find the New Testament scholar Scott McKnight to be really helpful with this passage. He says, we have to learn to distinguish moral discernment from personal condemnation. We have to distinguish moral discernment, so when we judge a situation and try to discern what is right or wrong, from personal condemnation, declaring a verdict over someone. So we can say this is right, this is wrong, but we can never say you're condemned by God. We can never say you are completely wrong before the Lord and Maker. We, We don't have that vantage point. And so we're not being forbidden from using our intellectual facilities or, or using our mind to make a decision or, or to say, like, hey, like what you're doing here I don't think is right. We can still speak into someone's life without condemning them. For example, we could say to that girl handing out the feathers, hey, you're in the wrong here. You shouldn't be doing this. And that's okay. But we can't stand above her and say you're condemned to the fires of hell because you're such a horrible person. We don't have that vantage point. We could never say that. We we can't speak about her motives. We can't speak about her intent. But we can discern if someone's actions are right or wrong. That's okay. And so McKnight says this passage is rightly translated as, Do not condemn, or you too will be condemned by God at judgment. Do not condemn, or you too will be condemned. And I think this really gets to the heart of the passage. We never have permission To condemn another soul. You see, this passage is only a nope card when someone is moving into the realm of condemnation, when you're tempted to hand someone a a feather. You know, whenever we make a determination about someone that carries a sense of condemnation or a sense that you're less than, then we are out of line. Then we are actually doing what Jesus has prohibited. And so the logic Jesus offers us is really straightforward if you judge, you're going to be judged. If you condemn, God will use the same measure against you. You will receive condemnation. And so I want to stress, we're not prohibited from moral discernment. Think about the Sermon on the Mount so far. Think about all the ways Jesus has asked us to exercise our judgment. He says, look at the law. Yes, you could keep the law externally, but use your judgment. Are you applying it to the heart? Do you understand the spirit of the law? He says, look at spiritual disciplines that people are exercising. Can't you see their misguided motives in their disciplines? Should you not judge your own heart and evaluate whether you're fasting or praying or giving for the right reasons? And he's going to go further still in the next passage on the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to say, judge between the wide gate that leads to destruction and the narrow path that leads to life. Judge between false and true prophets. Judge between the wolves and the sheep. He wants us to use our moral discernment even when it comes to other people. And sometimes, in our effort to avoid the risk of condemning someone, we swing to the other extreme. We never speak up at all. You see, when someone says, Who am I to judge? It can be healthy a lot of the times, but it can also be unhealthy. When you say, who am I to judge? And you actually just turn a blind eye. You actually don't speak up when maybe you should. When maybe there's a clear and obvious moral issue going on. Well, that's not actually loving. That's indifference. And Jesus isn't calling us toward indifference to each other. He's calling us to love one another and to speak into one another's lives so long as we are speaking life and grace and truth and not condemnation. So a failure to speak up, a failure to help someone evaluate or discern what's going on in their lives can be a failure to love. And so sometimes we do have to make judgments about people without condemning them. You know, recently I was talking to someone about an author, they wanted my opinion, and so I gave my opinion. They didn't like my opinion, and it was very upsetting to them. And so, with this author they brought up, I would say that as a Christian author, they are misguided and at worst writing some classic heresy. It's just factual. I guess just an honest book review. But the person said to me, Judge not. So, whoa, I'm not judging the author. I don't know the author. I don't know their heart. I don't know their standing before God. I don't know their intentions. All I'm doing is evaluating their writing. All I'm doing is saying these are the ideas they have published and put out into the world. And in light of the history of the church, here's how these ideas line up. So we can exercise our moral discernment, but we can't judge someone. Do you you guys see why that's a fine line that's important to distinguish here? And so if we pay attention, Jesus is prohibiting us from ever condemning another person, but he is inviting us to start using our personal judgment. So how do we actually take what Jesus says here and put it into practice? And tucked away in our passage is a little illustration that helps us make sense of how to judge well. Look at what Jesus says in verses three and four. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You know, Jesus, he has just painted a marvelous image for us. Someone has a log in their eye. A log in their eye. I want to help you get a sense of this, right? Like a log in their eye. Like this is smaller than the Greek word Jesus used. The word he used denotes like a piece of lumber for a roof, And so this person is walking around with a log in their eye, pointing out specks in other people's eye. Not only would their balance be impossible, they would not be able to exercise that sort of discernment ever, ever. And yet, now I have to figure out what to do this, like the rest of the sermon. Hey, guys. Uh, You know, so Jesus is saying, this is why I don't do prop humor. It's a ridiculous image. It's a ridiculous image. This person's sight is entirely compromised. But once again, people can even take this illustration and rip it out of what Jesus immediately says next in verse 5. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This isn't a ban against ever addressing something in someone else's life. But Jesus is placing a neon red blinking sign over other people that tells us, caution, judge at your own risk. If you're gonna exercise judgment toward another person, it is a very dangerous activity because you have a log in your own eye and they only have a speck. And it's a dangerous activity because We know in our own hearts how easy it is to move toward condemnation rather than discernment. And so judgment aside for a moment, we do need to be very, very careful in the way we speak about others. Because the tongue is a dangerous instrument. James writes in his letter, With the tongue we can praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. We can bless God and curse others with our tongue. And so James says, be very careful. And Jesus is saying, you've got a log. They only have a speck. Be very careful. But with this caution in mind, I don't think we can fall into the mistake of thinking there's only binary options between us. Either judging in a negative way or, or, or never judging or blessing or cursing. Like there's not only binary options between these these two poles. And so if we're going to exercise healthy judgment towards another person's speck, I want to just propose three questions we should ask ourselves. The first question is this, have I thought about the log in my own eye? Jesus says it is possible for you to address the speck in someone else's eye, but you better take the log out of your own eye first. So what does that mean practically? Richard Mao has a really helpful way of capturing this log-spec tension. He suggests this. Whenever you're going into any kind of critical conversation, concentrate on your own sinfulness and the other person's humanness. Concentrate on your own sinfulness and the other person's humanness. See, I'm not convinced that we can ever get the log entirely out of our eye. We're always a little prone to self-deception. We're always uh, a little more favorable to ourselves than we would be to others. But if we have this posture, if we're aware of the log, if we're trying our best to address the log, if we're willing to concentrate on our own sinfulness and our need for grace and mercy before God, it will flavor and change the way we speak to another person if we first acknowledge the log in our own eye in comparison to but the speck in their life we've identified. So if we're going to exercise healthy judgment, we first ask, you know, what about the log? The second question is, have I considered the measure? Have I considered the measure? Once again, Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so this is golden rule logic right here. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Jesus is saying, consider the measure you use in judgment. And turning to James once again, James says, Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so anytime we want to address the speck in someone else's life, the measure is always mercy. You see, we have to remember that the Sermon on the Mount is describing a kingdom life. It's describing what life looks like when you're already on the way, when you're already walking in the ways of the kingdom. But you didn't enter into the kingdom through judgment. No one gets into the kingdom through judgment. You only entered into the kingdom Through mercy, our entire life with God is dependent upon God showing us mercy and therefore mercy is meant to be the measure we use toward others when we're exercising judgment. And this is just the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And so when we start to see life through the lens of the kingdom of God, we start seeing people as needing mercy, not judgment. If you're going to speak into someone's life and you consider the measure, you're then going to say, how do I show this person mercy and not condemnation? So you're going in with a totally different posture. Do you see? You're going in saying, I have my own baggage and sin to deal with here. And it probably outweighs theirs. But I still want to go and speak into their life because their life matters before God. And our relationship matters. But how do I show mercy? How do I point them toward the mercy of God that he's shown to every single person? The third question we should ask ourselves is, will my words bring life or condemnation? Will my words bring life or condemnation? Another way of saying this is, are you trying to make a point or are you trying to make a difference? If you're speaking into someone's life because you just got to get something off your chest, you're just trying to make a point. You're not actually trying to make a difference in their life. life. You're trying to get the final word or you're trying to prove that they were wrong or whatever it may be. But if you're going into a relationship trying to make a point, it's probably better to keep your mouth shut. But if you want to go into that relationship and be a, a conduit of God's mercy, if you want to bring life, if you want to help them see what's going on from another perspective and find the way of life with you, then speak into their life. But we must always remember that We're speaking about a speck. We're not speaking about the whole sum of a person. And sometimes we can get so caught up on whatever relational issues we're facing with someone that we make that the sum of all that they are. And it's just a moment of their being. So when we keep the speck in mind, it helps us honor that the person is much bigger than a speck. But what I actually think we need to consider as we wrap up is not how do we judge others. There will be times where we have to exercise our judgment in relationship. But I also think we have to ask ourselves, how do we receive judgment? When someone else judges you, how do you respond? Now, I don't know about you, but if someone brings up some issue in my life, I'm really tempted to play the spiritual nope card. Like, nope, judge not lest ye be judged. Like, who are you to speak into my life? Because nobody likes to feel judged. No one wakes up and be like, you know what I'd love today? Some heavy-handed criticism. Like, no one is waking up thinking that. But when we feel judged, and even if a criticism is entirely off base, the, the nope card is the wrong way to go. Shutting down the criticism is the wrong way to go. The late David Powelson had some brilliant advice for receiving criticism. And let's be honest, you know, criticism, whether it's constructive or negative or crushing, uh, <laughs> it's just a form of judgment. No, criticism is simply a judgment made about you by another, which declares that you've fallen short of some kind of standard. And here's what Powellson says. Critics are God's instruments. I don't like to be criticized. You don't like to be criticized. Nobody likes to be criticized, but... Critics keep us sane, or by our reactions, prove us temporarily or permanently insane. Whether a critic's manner is gracious or malicious, whether the timing is good or bad, whether the intention is constructive or destructive, whether the content is accurate, half true, or utterly false, in any case, the very experience of being criticized reveals to you, to what madness are you prone. To what madness are you prone? Here's what he means. If someone criticizes you and your internal reaction, or maybe you say it is, who do you think you are? Don't you know everything that I'm doing? Don't you see how hard I'm trying? Can't you see how taxed I am? How could you possibly ask more of me? Can't you see what I'm doing? It's pride. It's the madness of pride. Don't you see who I am? Who do you think you are? On the other hand, if someone criticizes you and you say, oh, you're absolutely right. I'm terrible. I'm the worst. I don't even know how I got out of bed this morning. I don't know how I breathe. I don't know why I am going through this life. You are absolutely right. I am a terrible person through and through. It's the madness of shame. You see, how we respond to criticism, whether it is a good criticism or an entirely off-base one, shows something about our state of being. It shows what madness we're currently prone to. And so here's a truth I want us to consider. If we submit ourselves to God's judgment, all other judgment finds its proper place. If we submit ourselves to God's judgment, all other judgment finds its proper place. Do we agree with God's judgment of us? Like, we have fallen short of his glory. And that required a cross that he lovingly went to and endured to raise us up. Do we agree with that judgment? That we're far worse than we want to admit and far more beloved than we could ever comprehend. That we're beloved sinners. So when someone criticizes you, you could rightly say, you don't even see the worst of it. You don't even see the worst of it. But you also don't even see the belovedness of it either. You see, when we know our judgment before God is completely wiped away, that God has completely received us with love and grace and mercy, yeah, criticisms might hurt. I'm not saying you can go through these like some stoic and not be rocked by them. But they don't have to. You don't have to defend yourself. When you're accused, it's okay. You've already been acquitted. You've already been received. You've already been forgiven. You've already been reconciled. Like, nothing can take that away. And so we can lay down this defensive posture and listen to our critics and ask ourselves, right now, what madness am I prone to? doesn't mean you become a doormat. It doesn't mean that you ever say, hey, I think that comment was out of line. I'm not saying that. But I am saying let's step away from defensiveness and discover how to find life even when we're judged. Because through Christ's judgment, we do find life. So my invitation for us as a community, let's not draw conclusions about people's deepest motives or about who people are at their very core. Let's not condemn others and make them feel less than us. And let's leave the verdicts to God and trust God to sort his relationship out with people. Our job is to take the big log out of our eye so we can help our brothers and sisters take the specks out of theirs. And if we do this together, we will find that our moral discernment actually brings life rather than condemnation. It brings mercy rather than judgment. And that's the hope and that's the prayer. So let's submit ourselves to Christ's judgment because it's good and it brings life, and it is full of mercy. Let's pray.